So if I introduce myself, my name's Caroline Riley, and I worship here at Trent Vineyard. And I'm married to Les. We have two adult children, Gemma, who's 30-something, and Erin, who will be 30 in September. And I have three granddaughters who are absolutely amazing, but of different ages, all for my daughter. So the eldest is 16, who thinks that life is wonderful if you just do a social life. The middle one is 11 on Saturday, and she's just into her dance and football. Her school shoes always look like she's just scraped them across the corridor. And then the baby, although she would not like me calling her a baby, she's just turned four, and she thinks she knows it all. And you know when you see elements of yourself in a child? Yeah. She has, you know that saying, the apple doesn't fall far off the tree? Yeah, she's, even though she's not been birthed from me, that apple was truly there. <laughs> so, a bit more about me. I was a social worker and social work manager for 35 long years, and I appreciate that there are people in this room who probably haven't lived 35 years, <laughs> never mind worked 35 years. But I chose to retire from social work in 2018 and retrain as personal development coach. And I also coach for Vineyard Churches UK. Currently training to be a spiritual director as well with Vineyard Churches, because for me, there's something absolutely powerful about being alongside people as they grow, both in their relationship with God and the relationship with themselves and with others. I work part-time as a development worker for Transforming Knots Together, which sounds absolutely, what is that? Is it about trains? But actually it's, fund, it's um, funded by Church Urban Fund and the Diocese of Southall. And it is encouraging churches of whatever denomination to step into social action, to fight poverty, to fight injustice. And I just love it. I get paid for talking politics with a small p. So the purpose of our session, and I'm assuming we were all in the session before the lunch break, and it was really a blessing and an honor to be in that room and to hear from my colleagues, two of whom are in the room today, um, just talk about their experiences as black leaders within the vineyard. As a church movement, we have been pressing in with this conversation, particularly since the murder of George Floyd. But what I hope that you're all going to get from today is that racism isn't just another topic that you can pick off the shelf like homelessness or sexuality or poverty, because I can be black and homeless. I can be black and struggling with my sexuality. I can be black and poor. Indeed, government figures will show that one in 23 black households are either homeless or threatened with homelessness, as opposed to one in 83 of the rest of the population. Black children represent 8% of the children in care population, and yet only make up 5% of the under 18 population. One in five black households live in persistent poverty. And when we come to the prisons, it wouldn't surprise you to note that 26%, 26% of 
26% of the prison population are classified as BAME. The figures currently would stand at 22,683. If that figure accurately reflected our representation within society, it would be 9,000 less. So just think of what that is doing to generations predominantly of young men. Racism strikes at the very core of humanity, where a people group are regularly stripped of their dignity and right to be treated equally on a daily basis. It's more than name calling and you know, people from BNP, as it was when I was growing up, was it the English Defence League or whatever, they reframe themselves as, you know, hurling abuse at us. It's an ongoing set of attitudes and beliefs that you're not even aware that you hold because it's the way that you've been educated, it's the way that media is presented, it's the way that we don't listen to other people's experiences. We don't understand their experiences. Let's look at some recent events. We are all aware of the war in Ukraine. And quite rightly, we are offering places of refuge to Ukrainians. And that is right and, and proper. That is the third wave of refugee support for certain people groups that's happened in this country in the past year to 18 months, where there has been a ring fence package around them that would include housing, access to benefits, access to employment. And yet we still have refugees from potentially former Commonwealth countries that Britain ruled the waves with who we prevent from accessing those very things. And when we house them, we house them in hotels. There's a hotel here in the city which you know, people were put in, no access to food. So when a food bank delivery was made, it was like those pictures of refugees descending on vans in the refugee camps, happening live and direct here in Nottingham. And now we've been offered the chance to be resettled in Rwanda. Discuss. I'm gonna make no apologies by sharing aspects of the black experience. My experience is that my parents came from Jamaica in the Windrush years. Our experience of being black and part of the Commonwealth differs slightly to those, say, from Africa or China or India and Pakistan, in that we came with the legacy of slavery, but we all share the legacy of the British Empire, being ruled and resources taken to make another wealthy. While still singing and flag-waving, Britannia rules the waves. And if you've never read the verses of that song, my recommendation would be to Google it and to read it. It makes some stark reading. If you were hoping that I was going to give you 10 things to do so that your church is more inclusive, 
I'm sorry, I'm not going to. It's not that I can't, because I can't. <laughs> I can give you some things to reflect on, which we will look at, but you have to consider it as, and, and here at Trent, we looked at it like um, train track, where you've got the two bits of the, the, this really showing off my lack of train track knowledge. So you've got the two bits of the train track going alongside each other. The one side is about our heart journey. That is the bit that has to come first, that understanding of yourself, understanding of what it is that you believe and why you believe, spending time talking to someone else who's different to you to hear their story alongside the doing journey. I have lived long enough to tell you that just going into doing doesn't work. We've had the Race Relations Act in the 1970s. At the end of the riots in 81, we had um, deliberate uh, Section 11, what we called Section 11 workers, brought into teaching and brought into social work. It was just like putting a plaster over a, a gaping wound, hoping that the wound would stop bleeding, instead of actually looking at what's wrong with the wound, cleaning it out and giving it proper treatment. So as I've said, by the end of this session, hopefully you will all be continuing on your heart journey and I'll have some time for you to consider your next steps that you can take both as an individual and as a, a church body. Welcome. So my first question is, what do we mean by worship? And I think Olu touched on it um, earlier. We talked about um, the way that we do worship here in the vineyard. So I think it's referred to as soft rock or whatever that might be. We could actually get quite hung up about music and music styles. You know, can we have a bit of reggified Thy Kingdom Come stuff or play a good gospel song and maybe do some Motown version of something else. But that would actually call for us to step out of our comfort zones and wouldn't actually address the issue. And if we're honest, can you imagine that Sunday when we changed our music and jazzed it up, the emails coming into the pastors on Monday morning, we didn't do it the vineyard way. In the Bible, we're given a clear example as to what worship God wants from us. Romans 12 verses one to two states quite clearly, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. The Passion Translation calls us to live in holiness experiencing all that delights his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. And the message tells us to take our everyday, ordinary life 
are sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you best is the best thing that you can do for him. Changed from the inside out. So these translations tell us that it's not just about how we worship, whether or not we want dancing and drums or, or whatever, but actually it's about our daily lives. Now, if we see racism for what it is, which is a sin, and it's something that's experienced daily, then what we need to be looking at is how we actually live our lives not just something that we can turn on for church or turn on for work. How do we raise our children? How do we support that family in church whose son has been excluded because of his hairstyle? That type of ordinary, everyday life. So that's for me is why race isn't just a topic we can pick. Deep down, we all hold views and opinions and beliefs that tell us that our way is the norm, is the right way, is the real way. It's not an excuse to say that we live in Oban, therefore we don't have black people here. But there'll be other people who you other, you make look different and feel different. And you will be having conversations with people who will voice something that needs to be challenged. As I said earlier, we just don't know where these views come from often, but it is how we've been raised, what we've heard our parents say, what we've heard our grandparents say, school, what we're taught, and more to the point, how we're taught. For those wanting to worship in diverse communities, we need to recognize those things. We also need to recognize that for black worshipers, we come with a different pain. And that is the, the pain of hurt and distrust. I have good friends who are Christians in other churches who question, why am I doing this? Why am I using my voice to speak out when there has been so much written about racism over the past 40 years? They no longer have the emotional energy to invest in something which they never see a change. But we are called to be different. And it's been used many a time, but that piece of scripture from Esther for such a time as this always comes back to me. If we think about what happened when George Floyd was murdered, it was a perfect storm. He was not the first black man or woman to be murdered by the hands of the police, both in America and here. But because we were in a situation where we were in lockdown, we couldn't do much other than play with our phones and tablets. What we saw appalled us. 
Last year, here in Britain, we saw the first conviction of a serving police officer, Benjamin Monk, for the murder of Dalian Atkinson, who was a former footballer, played for the wrong team, he played for the Villa. <laughs> in his defense, Monk came out with all the usual stereotypes to justify his actions. Atkinson appeared aggressive. He was a big man and I felt intimidated. This is a serving police officer saying this and thinking that it will get him off. Fortunately, because of the perfect storm that we'd had the previous year, he was found guilty. My son has bipolar and in his last episode, this time last year, he was on a Zoom call with work and during the course of that call, appeared to be distressed and was angry and saying things about he was fed up a life and nothing goes right for him. Things that he was saying out of anger. His workplace were concerned about him and phoned for an ambulance to go to his flats. When my son wouldn't open the door to the ambulance, they were concerned and at that point decided they ought to ring me. So I went up to his flat. They were about to ring the police because by now my son had left his flat clearly in an angry state, angry that the ambulance had been called, angry that his workplace had not consulted him. But all they could see was someone angry and they thought he was going to do something so they wanted to call the police. Now, most of us in this room would think that that was a good thing to do. It was an expression of a duty of care to him. But for me as his mother, sorry, for me as his mother, the stakes were ramped up. And for me, it was a situation of life and death, and I make no exaggeration about that, because that is exactly what I felt. I feared that my son would become another Kevin Clark, who in March 2018, during a mental health episode, was heard to say, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. While being restrained by nine police officers. So long before those words were immortalized in America, they were said by a black man here. It took almost three hours to get the ambulance to agree with me, mother, that the police were not needed, that the police coming to this situation would make it worse because they would see not a young man in trouble with his mental health, they would see a young black male who was being aggressive and the response would be to restrain. So based on what I've shared so far, we're going to allow you a couple of minutes to let that sink and think for yourselves 
what is it that I want my diverse community to look like? Why create one? What's my driver? Why is it important to you? And what's your contribution? So spend a couple of minutes thinking that through, and then I will ask you to share just with the person next to you. Okay, if we could bring our conversations to a close. We're all at different stages of the journey, and that's okay. But in, if we are serious about our churches, the church being different than society, then we do need to check ourselves and, and perhaps start with the why. Why do we want to do this? And even if your answer is, because I know it's wrong and... I want it to be different, that's a start. Because then you can build on that. It's when we pretend with a colorblind attitude that all is well with the world, that things don't improve. So let's put a bit of God back into this. So Genesis 1, verses 28 to 26 to 28 and 31. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the, in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Sadly, as a church, again, the church, global, particularly in the West, we've kind of behaved like God added another verse for us, and that verse equates with his image meaning white, and white is good, and black is not good. We end up struggling to believe that God has made us all differently and that he loves diversity. We may say it, but that heart is not con convincing us. It was God who created us different. He set the earthly divisions and set the nations apart because of man's pride. Pride was there in the garden, present at the Tower of Babel, and was and is the driving force that says it's okay to take one people group and treat them differently because the other people group perceives themselves as being superior. And we then wrap that up in quasi-science and change the Bible, in fact, even develop a slave's version of the Bible with all reference to freedom removed from it, so that basically means it didn't have the New Testament, <laughs> and you know, justifying our actions, justifying what took place in slavery, justifying what has taken place in our recent history of the Commonwealth. 
where we had churches and officials in roles that were brought in from Britain rather than homegrown leaders. Then we have the cold, cold welcome that my dad and his generation had when they came here looking for church because dad was high Anglican smells and bells but not been welcomed and in fact been told that their church was down the road. And we're still paying the cost for this action. How many of us in our respective churches have connections with a local black majority church in our area? How many of us have stepped foot into one of those churches rather than expecting us to them always to come to us. There could be a stirring in this room right now of maybe some anger towards me that how dare I criticize the Commonwealth. We brought great things to these countries. We, we brought them civilization. So did the Romans. I would merely ask you to just take time to reflect whether that was the truth and from whose perspective. As was shared earlier in, in the, this morning, there's lots that's been written. Make use of that great wealth of books and television programs and podcasts written by people like David Alasuga. If you read other stuff, just ask yourself the question, who was it written by and who was it written for? History is always written by the victor and is shaped by them. So that's when you see words like rebellion or insurrection, the Boxer Rebellion in China. What were they rebelling about? Not being fed opiates. We see a history where slave owners have been recompensed and it took until 2007 to pay that bill off. And yet the victims of slavery and their descendants have received nothing. And if it has been an apology, it's usually been not actually meant. Instead, we're told to get over it. You've got a chip on your shoulder. Slavery may have ended in 1832 but it only came, became illegal to own a slave in 2007. Genesis reminds us that we are all created in God's image. And I said, as I said earlier, making racism a sin because we're not seeing people as God sees me. When he looks at each one of us, he sees his glory shining back at him. We all know the verses in Colossians 3 about there being no Jew or Gentile. But sometimes we can use that verse and almost become colorblind with it. So we will quote it. There is no Jew and Gentile because we're all in Christ. Fine. But God still made me different to you. He wired me differently than you in different things. 
One of the things that's come out of the conversations that we've been having here at Trent um, following George Floyd's murder is that um, somebody came to me and said, up until these conversations, and they were very angry that we're having these conversations, up until we're having these conversations, I never saw you as black. Okay. How did you see me? Clearly they saw me different. And that difference was almost like an honorary white person because their perception of what black meant, I didn't fit that category. I found it interesting to be told that, and I've been told that a few times, that they don't see me as black, and yet when I walk in a room, hello, that and color of the hair. God gave Abraham a promise that he would be the father of many nations. Jesus told the disciples to go into all the world and make disciples of him, not disciples of a dominant group. The New Testament shows us how the early church approached diversity. God intended our differences. He did not make a mistake. We find oneness in Jesus and we still have our identity as black, white, brown people. So how does this relate to worshiping and building diverse communities? It means that we love and value each other as a unique human being that God has created. It means that we should take some time to come to know each other, our stories and our contributions. It starts with you, the individual, us, the individuals, changing our hearts and attitudes and following the Holy Spirit's conviction and challenge. For those of us who are the victims of racism, that would often mean actually being vulnerable and allowing the Holy Spirit to heal us of those memories and trust, because although racism isn't our problem, we are the victims of the problem but we need to work together to move on. So if we go back to that Romans 12 verse, we live our lives this way 24 seven, not just for church, not just for making a project or whatever. It's how we raise our children. It's how we teach our children. It's how we support our neighbors challenge what we hear in the workplace, etc. Loving others as God loves us, this is our worship. God isn't ashamed of our diversity. Instead, he calls us to unity and encourages us to connect with those who are different than ourselves. We all know in this room that the devil hates unity. Just think about your families before coming here today. How many of us potentially had a row with someone, or if you didn't actually physically had it, you had it in your head. Mm. Yeah. So what actions can you take personally? Now I had hoped this would come up on a screen, but that part didn't work out. Hopefully it will do on Thursday. But I'm gonna ask 
you some questions and then just spend a few minutes just thinking about your personal response to this. Who can you connect with that's different to, to you? Whose story do you need to listen to and not judge? Do you need to continue the heart journey by being ready to question some of your assumptions and beliefs? Sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Number two, which was, uh, whose story do you need to listen to and not judge? Someone else writing it down. So. Social work manager in me say it once. Comes out. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you need to continue the heart journey? Yeah, by being ready to question assumptions that you may hold about others. And my advice, I hesitated using that word because as a coach, we don't give advice, but hey, I'm free. So my advice would be to don't just think about those questions for now, but think about them in your quiet time. Think about them when you're cooking, think about them all the time and journal what God tells you because that would lead to the next step. What I'd like us to focus on though now is what can we do as a church family? Um, I think it might be useful to kind of split into four and then another, yeah, four groups on this side and four groups on that side. Does that make sense? And I'm going to read out some questions. And again, if at least one of each group scribes this down. So if we're gonna be thinking of actions, remember that just having more black people come into your church doesn't necessarily mean that you've ticked the box because that's all you've done. You've ticked a box. How are you reflecting diversity within your services? Within the imagery in your church, the pictures, the books, the, uh, the toys in your kids' worship. Was that too fast? No, no, no. I had a funny story because um, we go to York City and uh, then my son, I think he was three, and then they were wondering, they had, they had dogs playing with him. He was refusing to play with any of the dogs. And one of the people said, why are you not playing? He said, none of them look like me. Next week, <laughs> they came, they had two, and he was like, yeah? yeah. So she said that, well, she didn't think about it. And it's like, it's only when that comment came around yeah. that, Yeah. And that's And that is so true because my next bit would be in our leaders and our leadership in those standing at the front doing something not just 
worship. What else? Not just serving tea and coffee. How else is it reflected? I um, run a youth small group here at Trent, and one of the parents came to me, and please, I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you the story as the parents came to me, and actually said, you had made such a big difference in my girl's life because she goes to school and there's no one like her. She was in, sadly, kids at that time, and there was no one like her. And now she's got you in youth as a role model, which is so important. My final question here is think about whether as leaders you have an understanding or a willingness to learn about others' global experiences of people not like you. So if you want to split into groups and just focus on that and share some ideas. <laughs> okay, if we could draw our conversations to a close. Hopefully you were able to think of some practical things alongside the continuing journey of learning and education and sharing that you can be doing. I suppose one of the questions could be being clear as to what it is that you want to achieve. What does that look like? What would your church look like if it was truly diverse? and Olo touched on it this morning about, we'd have to be prepared to be made uncomfortable because some of the things that we currently label as the vineyard way may need to be bumped because actually we need to be doing things God's way. And the last time I looked in the Bible, God didn't say, thus saith the vineyard, <laughs> you know? And as a good newscaster once said, and finally, <laughs> but there isn't a funny story to it, but yeah. <laughs> God knows that we're all different. There's a surprise. Revelation 7 verse 9 tells us a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. I close my eyes because I just visualize that and I'm blown away. Heaven is going to be amazing and it's going to be loud and it's just going to be so colorful and wonderful. Jesus did not die so that we can keep him in our churches with our ways of doing things inviting people in, 
but making them become like us and not like him. He died outside the camp for relationship that liberates. For us to appreciate and accept the differences of others so that we can pray on their behalf, getting over the walls that divide us, changes of our hearts that lead to changes of the way that we think, which in turn lead to changes in the way that we do our action. Thank you.